learn what it means to receive and learn how that applies to us. I was gone last week. This time last week I was sitting in the congregation at the Grace Community Church of Johnstown, Colorado with my grandmother and grandfather-in-law listening to my uncle-in-law preach. It's a lot of in-laws. Um, got to take a few days just to get away and to relax and recover. And one of the uh, funny things was I wound up getting to Johnstown a lot earlier than I intended to because there were no hotels available along I-25 going through Colorado because Pueblo, Colorado is having their annual chili festival. And so the hotels in Pueblo were booked, the hotels in Colorado Springs were booked, and by the time I got to Denver, I decided I didn't want to spend $150 on a hotel room to sleep for four hours. So I slept in a parking ride, which is a parking lot where people gather to carpool into town. Woke up about 6 o'clock because the temperature outside had dropped down to 50. And so I went and ate at McDonald's until a reasonable time to go wake my grandparents-in-law up. And when I woke them up, they fed me breakfast again. They, um, Grandpa's like, I'm sorry, Leland, we don't have much to eat here, just bacon and eggs. I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> and, and we don't have anything to drink except for these four cases of diet soda. <laughs> hey. I was in a good place. But what they did... Was when I when I came in when I came into the house, they had a place for me to sleep, a place for me to care for myself. Uh, they had food, drink, a place to study. Just you know, mi casa is su casa. Here you go. That is what it means to receive. Uh -huh. To Amen. to receive someone means to bring them in, to allow them in, and to provide for them and to care for them. That's what it means to receive. And so our Lord is going to use the word receive in our passage today. And I want us to know what that means because we're given instructions concerning receiving. In Mark chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible says that Jesus took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed, he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, as we look at this passage, we have to remember that there is an argument that has been going on amongst the disciples that is addressed earlier in chapter 9. They were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who would be Jesus is going to be king? Who gets to be vice king? Who gets to be Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, Speaker of the House? They're, they're arguing over the rank. Who's going to outrank the other one? Who is going to be great and who deserves to be great? I mean, obviously, Peter and James and John had been close to Jesus and they'd done some pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful ministries uh, as they ministered alongside Jesus. But what about the other disciples? Where does Bartholomew fit into this whole deal? 
Uh, where does, um, you know, Judas was the treasurer? Would he be secretary of finance? I mean, who knows, right? We're arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus told them, he said, if any man desire to be the first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And so he tells the disciples that the way to advance in the kingdom is to be humble. That God views humility as greatness. And then he takes this child. And he takes this child, sets this child in the midst of them. Then he takes the child up in his arms. And he says, whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. To illustrate this concept of humility and being great in the kingdom because of humility, Jesus takes this child and he sets this child in between them and says, you want to be great in the kingdom, then you receive this child, those that are like this child. You see, when we think of greatness, when we think of power, when we think of prestige, we think of rubbing the right elbows. We, we think of being able to tell people who our friends are. Have y'all ever seen the movie The Blind Side? You know when, uh, when Mrs. Toohey goes back to the, the projects, she's looking for Michael Orr, and she can't find him. She goes back to the projects, and the guy threatens her. And she talks about how the district attorney is in her prayer group and all these powerful people that she hangs out with and that nobody would ever be able to convict her if she were to do something to him, right? She's got all these powerful friends and all these good connections. Don't mess with me, Jack. Yeah. Right? That's the way the world thinks about things. Mrs. Tui, I'm not trying to sell her character or anything. I'm just giving you an example of how we think. We think the better connected we are. The better things are in college, they teach us about networking. We apply this in our professional lives, networking, rubbing the right elbows. But instead of dreaming of high society, and there's nothing wrong with doing those things, by the way. But greatness in the kingdom doesn't come by rubbing the right elbows. It doesn't come by being connected to the powerful, to, to having the right friends, to being able to have my senator on speed dial. We'll take care of this issue. No. Greatness in the kingdom means helping the most vulnerable. We should be looking for ways to help and ways to serve, not ways that we can be in power and direct. And we should be willing to do so with humility. In Mark chapter 9, in this passage, Jesus tells us to receive others. He tells us what we should learn while we receive others. He tells us why we should receive others. Mm -hmm. And then he tells us who we are to receive. Yes. So what we learn receiving others. Let's talk about this word receive. It means to take in, to minister to, to provide for, to shelter. Mm -hmm. It carries with it the notion of hospitality. Hospitality with love. Hospitality with concern. Uh, my grandparents' generation, they have this down to a fine art. I went to go see Jessica's grandparents, and they were like, hey, come on in. Let's cook you some bacon. I'm like, I am in heaven. My grandmother on my mother's side was my mother's, my biological mother's stepmom, has hospitality to a fine art. She barely knows me. But I tell you, if I showed up on her doorstep tomorrow afternoon, she would be cooking dinner and, and have a seat for me there at the table. I know this because I've done this before when I was in college. She lives over near Nacogdoches, a little town called Lufkin. 
uh, I went over to her house just to say hi. And she's like, oh, come on in in the big spread of a dinner. I mean, she was already planning the big spread, but I got a seat at the table, you see. They've got this hospitality thing figured out. It carries with it the notion of hospitality, with love and concern. In the context of ministry, it also means to disciple or to guide, to teach, to help, to take alongside. So this is going a step beyond just witnessing to somebody and getting somebody to say the prayer to ask Jesus into their heart. This is to follow up and be concerned for them and to minister to them and to walk alongside them after they have made their profession of faith. I grew up watching people make professions of faith and then falling away from the church and people saying, "Tis a pity, I guess they didn't really mean it. But did anybody really try to follow up and disciple them? I don't know. I mean, I was just a kid, but I, I do remember the conversations. And so the question that Jesus is posing here is, are you willing to get into the trenches with somebody who needs the Lord? In verse 37, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Yeah. Now it's one thing to receive people whom we feel comfortable around. But what about those around whom we're uncomfortable? What about those that they smell funny, they look funny, they act funny, they talk funny, they're, they're, just, they're just different. You see, when Jesus took the small child, he took this child, he says, whoever receives one of such children, he's not saying, make sure your church has a youth program. He's not saying, make sure you have a children's day where the children get to sing a special at church. That's not what he's saying, although it's, those are good things. He is taking someone in that culture that the culture did not regard at all. Now, we see children in American culture, we see children as precious. They're cute. They're entertaining. They, they, they're, there's, a, there's a certain preciousness to them, right? Yes. We, when we find out about somebody doing something to a child, we get angry. We get, we get furiously angry, murderously angry. Yes. We, we lift children up and we put them on this pedestal. And we, to, to a certain degree, we idolize children in our culture today. Yes. That's, the way, that's American culture. Mm -hmm. Ancient Hebrew culture was not so. Ancient Hebrew culture and the culture that Jesus was speaking into, children were not revered. Children were not venerated. Children were not seen as cute, adorable, precious, the future of the country. I mean, Whitney Houston and uh, was that her, I believe the children of the future teach them. Well. Right, she didn't exist back then, and neither did the song. Children in ancient Hebrew culture were filthy. They've been playing outside in the dirt all day. They're filthy. Nobody wipes their noses. They're filthy. Children in Jesus' day were filthy. Mom didn't take them to Bells to buy them designer outfits. They were in rags. They're, they're filthy. Children were foolish. They got into things they didn't need to be into. Children were annoying. And if you wanted to annoy people, you brought children. Now, to a certain degree, that aspect does exist in our world today. If you don't believe me, take your child to work, all right? They'll say, what's your child doing here? This is a place for grown-ups. But you didn't gain prestige by having children around. And so when Jesus commanded the disciples to receive the children, that meant to receive those that we tend to look down upon, those that make us uncomfortable, those 
that we see is less than desirable. Those who may not be cool, those who may not be fashionable, they don't understand the lingo, they don't get what we're doing here, all right? That's what Jesus is saying. Receive them. Receive them. And then Jesus steps it up by adding that by receiving the children, you're also receiving Christ or even higher, the Father. In other words, how you feel about these children reflects how you feel about God. It's easy to look down on people because people are stupid. I mean, if you work with the public, you know this. I used to work in a gas station. Let me tell you something. People pull up to a gas pump, their brains shut off, all right? I'm, I'm going to testify to that. Um, but there are a lot of people that we just don't really want to be around. Let's face it. Let's be honest about our, our human nature, our flesh nature. Yeah. Yet, you will never look into the eyes of someone that God does not love. Neither will you look into the eyes of someone who was not created in the image of God. Every time in human history that we have divided ourselves out by class and rank, we have determined that there are those who are beneath us. There are those in a class beneath us. They're not quite us. We're above them and we deserve to be above them and they deserve to be below us, and we don't mean anything bad toward them. They just need to stay in their place. Now, this has happened historically all throughout human history. But the way we justify that is we come up within our we, we come up with this psyche within ourselves that says that somehow this is a natural order that God has laid out, or that nature has laid out. Evolution taught us, or tried to teach us, and that we don't believe it. But the evolutionary way of thinking is that we evolved from an animal. And some of us evolved at different stages. And so therefore, some of us naturally have higher intellects. And so when you look at somebody of a different class, you're looking at somebody beneath you. You're not looking at somebody created in the image of God. You're not looking at somebody that God necessarily loves. Oh, he may, in his grace, allow them into the picture, but they're just not us. That is... Uh, there's a few ways I can I can describe that idea. That is a doctrine of the devil, and that is hogwash and horse feathers. Anybody ever seen a horse feather? Me neither. Right, no, you haven't seen a horse feather. If you do, bring it. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, no, no, no. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that man was created... In the image of God. Amen. Right? Amen. And then Adam and Eve, they had a son. And that son was born in the image of Adam, who was created in the image of God. And over time, our images may have downgraded a little bit. But we were still created in the image of God. Amen. And you're not going to look into the eyes of another person who was not created in the image of God. That's why murder is such a serious sin in the Bible. It goes beyond the life that you ended. It goes beyond the family that you just orphaned, the, the grief and the, and the misery that you just inflicted upon an entire family of people and the altered course of history. But when you commit murder, you are destroying the image of God. God loves all. Christ 
gave his life for all. The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at this person and say, this is somebody who is highly valuable to me, and this is somebody who is less valuable to me. God loves all. And so we are to receive the little children. Okay? And when we say little children, that means everybody. From those that we do esteem to those that we don't esteem very much. Mm -hmm. I have been in churches where there have been people attending those churches and other members apologizing for the people that, that attended. Oh, you know, it's just don't pay any attention to them. They've been coming. We're hoping to reach them, but they're just not quite there yet. We're, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, like the, the black sheep cousin that you're apologizing to the in-laws for. It's like, oh, it's just, it's just got to put up with him. We shouldn't be apologizing for people that are in this church. No. All right? We, and we will not apologize for people that are in this church. No. We will not we're having to learn to not draw attention to ourselves. We will not let me regain myself here. We receive all even if they get up in service. <laughs> we receive all. And we will not apologize. We will not convince ourselves that if we could just get so-and-so out of this congregation, the church would grow better because we'd be more appealing. No, we're not here to appeal to the world, and we're not here to make ourselves feel better. The reason we exist are for the little ones that we are to receive. Amen. That's why we're here. Amen. All right, so we learn that we are to receive all, that God loves all, that all are created in the image of God, and that we are to reach out and to receive all. Why should we do that? Why should we receive all? Well, here's a quick, quick, here's a quick answer for you. Because Christ received us. Amen. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look in verses 5 through 11. It's right before Colossians. It's after Ephesians. And if you have my Bible, it's on page 1064. <laughs> but Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Yes, Why should we receive others? Why should we receive the little children? Why should we receive those that drive us crazy? Because Christ received us. Yes. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 tells us, and verse 6 tells us, that Christ who was in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God. 
John chapter 1 starts out by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Amen. All right, so Christ was God. God. Part of the Godhead. God the Son. He is in the glories of heaven. He is sitting on the throne. The angels are praising His every move. The, the Bible tells us that the angels declared His greatness and praised Him at the creation of the earth. He goes out there and says, let there be light, and there's light, boom, in the evening and the morning were the first day, and Jesus says, how about that? And the angels go, that's pretty amazing. Yes. Check this out, I'm going to separate water from itself now. And that was pretty amazing, that, that's who he was. He, I mean, we cannot fathom the glory that was Jesus Christ in the beginning, our Lord and Savior in the beginning, God in the beginning, that's who he was, all right? And so here we have the all-powerful creator, glorified in the heavens, in the cosmos, creating the world, creates man, creates man after his own image, and puts man in charge of the creation. Yes. He told Adam to go and to replenish the earth. That means to have babies and have lots of people on the earth, and to subdue it. God wants us to subdue the earth. Amen. He does not want us to destroy the earth, mm -mm. but he does want us to subdue the earth. Amen. That means that when we mowed this yard, thank you, Bobby, by the way, and Brother Wayman, mm -hmm. um, when we mowed this yard, we are subduing the earth. We are doing God's will with that. When we cultivate it across the street from my grandparents' house in Colorado, there are cornfields. All right? That's what God wants us doing with it. When we plant the orchards and we're growing the pecans and the apples, that's what God wants us doing. When we build homes and towns and communities, that's what God wants us to do. Amen. He created it. He gave us that. Man rebelled against him. Man sinned against him. Man tried to take his authority from him. Why did Adam and Eve eat of the fruit? The Bible tells us that the woman saw, and Adam was in agreement because he was there with her, so they saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes, that it was good for food, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Yes. A tree to be desired to make one wise. Responding to Satan's temptation that in the day that you do this, you will be as gods. They wanted to cast off God's authority. Yes. So God's got a rebellion happening in his creation. He created this thing, and it's rebelling against him. <laughs> so what does Jesus do? The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. And he didn't make himself a prince. He didn't show up and say, I'm the Messiah, bow down and worship me. He came in the form of a carpenter. Yes. Working class. Mm -hmm. Lived in poverty among a people who were subjected by a foreign government. And he lived that life. He lived that life as a carpenter. He did that for the first 30 years of his life, lived that life as a carpenter. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He went to the cross. Why? To take the punishment for our sins upon him. Why? So that we could be cleared of the guilt of the rebellion. Why? So that we can be reunited, reunited with him as his people. Amen. 
He received us. Here you have Christ dealing with his creation, dealing with his people that rebelled against him, that sinned against him, those that he created in his image that said, we don't want your authority. We don't want your rules. We want to do it ourselves. Jesus says, I'm going to come join you. I'm going to live among you. I'm going to deal with the same daily struggles that you have. And then I'm going to lay myself down as an offering to clear you from the sin and from the debt and the guilt of your rebellion. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. So that we could be reunited with him. Amen. Anytime you read a story of a king that is having to live amongst the commoners, a rich person that's having to live as a poor person, you see agony and psychological trauma because they can't have the luxuries that they're accustomed to having. In fact, there was a TV show here a few years back where Paris Hilton had to go and live with like a lower middle income family and have to live life as a commoner. And she and her friend, whose name I cannot remember, were having all kinds of problems because they couldn't use their, their Visa Gold card in this new existence, right? And they're having to live in this room without air conditioning. And there's bugs in the house. And they're going crazy. But when you read about Jesus, Jesus never complains about that sort of stuff. No, he went through it. He allowed himself to be surrounded by people whose sin and whose deprivation likely repulsed him. Amen. So that he could redeem us all and receive us into his kingdom. Amen. Why should we receive others? Why should we receive the little children? Those whom we may look down on, those whom we may look up to, those all around us, why do we receive them? Because the Bible tells us that Christ received us. Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. After going through everything we go through, Jesus died on the cross, he resurrected, he went to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.25 that he pleads our case, he ever lives to make intercession for us there. Why should we receive others? Because Christ received us. Whom should we receive? Mm -hmm. Verse 37. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Who should we receive? The little children. Mm -hmm. Those who are vulnerable. Those who are unable to care for themselves. Those who are marginalized by society. Those who are not socially viable, we should receive them. I remember sitting in church as a 12-year-old kid, this hippie walked into the back door of the church. And I remember looking over my shoulder going, what's he doing here? Uh, That shouldn't have been my question. That shouldn't have been my attitude. Should have been ready to receive the hippie. Right? I mean, we should receive those who are marginalized by society. Those who are not socially viable those who are lost and when we receive lost people we need to expect not necessarily condone but we do need to expect 
that lost people are going to act like lost people. And so we receive them. So we should receive the little children. Verses 38 and 39. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can likely speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. Sometimes we tend to think that if they're not part of our church or our denomination, they must not be part of us. They must be part of the devil. They must be part of the world. There must be something wrong with them. And here you have a situation where there's a man casting out devils. And John says, oh, you have that power. You must, you know, you must be, you, you should join our group. We're with Jesus. And the man says, no, I really feel like I should stay here and cast out devils. And John says, we well, can't do that. If you're not going to be part of our group. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let him serve. We're all in different places. You know, we're all in different places in our faith. We're all in different places in life. But if we receive our fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, even though they may not be in the same church body as us, or they may not have the same outlook on things like us, but we receive them, that's what God wants us to do. Amen. What I find, and I mean, there, there are differences in, in scriptural interpretation. These differences do matter. Um, Christian doctrines do matter. There are a lot of doctrines that do matter. I'm not saying that anything goes. But ask yourself a question. If we were living in the tribulation and we were fleeing from persecution of the Antichrist, how big of an issue would that difference in doctrine be? Because right. one thing I'm finding, I learned this from our missionaries that go overseas and they go into countries where there is persecution. You don't see that level of division. Mm-hmm. They receive each other. Amen. They look after each other. If they can do that there, we can do it here. We should be willing to receive our fellow servants in the Lord. And also our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said, Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Basically, who are we to receive? The little children. Those who are lost. Those who are vulnerable. Those who are foolish. Those who are not socially viable, those who are marginalized, we should be willing to receive them. Our fellow servants in the Lord, those who trust the Lord, those who know the Lord, those who are working to advance the Lord's kingdom, those who are spreading the gospel, those who are ministering, we should be willing to receive them. Mm -hmm. And those who are willing to receive us, they're willing to minister to us, that are willing to bring us a cup of cold water, they're not going to lose their reward. Mm -hmm. You flip that on the other side, you're not going to lose your reward no. for helping another. That's, right. That's what we're to do. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if we go back down to the uh, basis of it, Christ did that for us. Amen. See, this is a biblical concept. Yes. The love that Jesus extended to us, Amen. we are to extend to each other yes. and to others. Yes. And let us do so.